Season 1, Episode 5 of the Talking Ball Y'all Podcast. On this episode, we will have a beat writer bracket breakdown of the upcoming 2018 NCAA Baseball Tournament. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Talking Ball Y'all Podcast, brought to you by Robertson Brothers, located at 617 Highway 11 South in Picayune, Mississippi. Give them a call at 601-799-1220. Also, you can find them on the web at Robertson Brothers Used Cars. Dot com. Well, Clay, we're on a special day, Memorial Day, uh, recording this podcast. And earlier today, we had the NCAA bracket come out for the regions or the regionals. That's uh, host sites and the teams uh, making up the 64-team field that got selected to play in this year's regional tournament. Um, we see number uh, number one overall, Florida, out the SEC, coming in at 42-17. and 17. I know you watched the uh, selection show just about like I did. Uh, talk a little bit about what you've seen from the field. And this year they've done something a little different. They seeded the top 16, not just the top eight. So that was something a little different that they that they, the selection committee did. Yeah, opens up the selection kit, uh, committee really up to a little bit more harassment as they can see exactly um, what was thought of each and every team in that top 16. But if you look at it, Jeff, Florida's a, a one seed overall. Just kind of speaks when we're going to talk about tonight is in-state schools. We're going to uh, weigh heavy in on Southern Miss, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State and what their groups of four look like in each of their regionals. We've got Ole Miss, who won the SEC title this past weekend. Southern Miss, who won the Conference USA title uh, this past weekend and the regular season Conference USA title. And then you've got Mississippi State, who on this list is going to end up as a four seed. Now, just a month ago, as we did this podcast, we were talking about, will SEC, will they even qualify for the SEC tournament? And then two episodes ago, um, they swept Florida, you know, and it, that's the number one team in this whole darn thing. And they went to start Vegas and got swept. So uh, when you sweep the number one team, you go in this just quantum leap that uh, Mississippi State has taken. And we'll talk uh, to a beat writer about exactly what's going on with Mississippi State. But to be a two seed from where they were a month ago, it's just a mouthful for them. Southern Miss, a two seed. I, I, they get sent to Arkansas. We'll dive deeper into that. Um, Ole Miss, of course, they're a one seed. They're a number a four seed nationally. Uh, they're going to host at Swayze Field. We're going to host most likely unless something crazy happens. Uh, they'll continue to play baseball that following weekend, and they'll have back-to-back weekends there at Swayze, which will just be an awesome environment. Uh, for baseball so we'll get into that that's what we're going to do this podcast we're not going to have as much round table on different things going on we're going to dive deep into bracket uh, baseball and, and we're going to have beat writers uh, that follow these schools that were at each of these conference tournaments saw it with their own eyes we try to look out uh, throughout the state find guys that are really plugged into what they're covering and, and not just guys like me and you that can are seeing it from a, a distance, right. but are truly plugged in, traveling, seeing these games, and uh, give just an awesome perspective on each of these clubs. The first club we will um, break down is Southern Miss, and we will have uh, beat writer Jason Munns with the Hattiesburg American, and he's going to talk to us about Southern Miss's Conference USA Tournament Championship this past weekend, and then exactly what they look like moving forward in the NCAA tournament. We're excited. We have Jason Munns with us. Jason, a beat writer for Southern Miss there with the Hattiesburg American. And uh, Jason, a wild week uh, last week that resulted in the Golden Eagles winning the Conference USA tournament. So that puts them winning the Conference USA tournament and also the regular season. Just kind of describe as a, a beat writer what your week was like covering the Golden Eagles last week. Man, I'm gonna tell you, it was. Uh, it was. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. To be totally honest with you, it was uh, nothing like I've ever experienced before. Uh, you know, it was supposed to start on Wednesday, and they got uh, about a game and a half in. They're supposed to be four games on Wednesday, and they got about a game and a half in. Um, uh, before the lightning in the area uh, forced forced uh, you know a postponement 
And, uh, and so from then on, it was touch and go, uh, really. Uh, you know, there was four delays. I think, I think they ended up with nine different uh, weather delays. And that, I think, they totaled up uh, the, number, you know, the amount of time that, that those delays took, and it was like almost 13 hours. And so, uh, you know, you had you had schedule changes all over the place. You had, uh, you know, a lot of really, really, really late nights, or I guess I should say early mornings. Uh, thankfully, I was spared uh, that. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of other people weren't, but they were troopers. And uh, because of their uh, hard work and, and, and diligence, that the tournament, despite all of the delays, was able to finish exactly on time. I mean, they played the max number of games that that tournament allows, and even with all the delays, all the pitching changes, all the games, they still finished exactly when they were supposed to finish, which is just insane to me. Yep, incredible. A lot of good work. I know you mentioned that on your Twitter feed earlier today. Really good work, I thought, by the conference and all involved down at MGM Park. You, you, you've you kind of talked about it, and to use the term night owls, the owls matchup of Florida Atlantic and, and Rice the other night, I think ended past 2 o'clock. It, actually, the day of the championship, I was going to say 2 o'clock at night, but into the morning, and so that's just incredible, man. Yeah, they uh, they finished. You know, that game went into extra inning, and, and I'm not even – I need to go back and look. There was like 14 games, and, and at least one of them went into extra innings. So I'd like to, you know, if, if there were any others, which I'm not sure if there were, but if there were, uh, that even makes the, the feat even more impressive that they were able to get done on time. But, yeah, uh, uh, you know, they were supposed to kick off. The Rice and FAU were supposed to get things going, you know, right around 9 o'clock uh, Saturday night. And then, I mean – I don't even think they got through the first half inning when, when weather got them. And uh, they had to sit around for like an hour or so. And, uh, then when they finally get back going, it's, it turns into a slugfest. And FAU ended up winning 9-8 to eight in extra innings. Um, and they finished, yeah, like you said, shortly after 2 a.m. And then, so that's less than seven hours later, the, the tournament gets back going again. Uh, where Southern Miss and Charlotte got back on the field at, at 9 a.m. Uh, on Sunday. Jason, you've walked me right into my next question. Uh, you lose, if you're a Southern Miss fan, a heartbreaker the night before that 9 a.m. start, and then you just get a lights-out uh, pitching performance from Strickland. It, he hasn't started, what, three or four ball games, and then you get that kind of performance. Talk about that young man's start there on Sunday morning for the Golden Eagles. You know, I'll be honest, I've seen, you know, I've covered this team for, you know, full-time for, for the last five years or so and uh, covered a lot of stuff, a lot of games before then. You know, so I've seen Barry Bowden, Todd McKinnis, Nick Sandlin, Andrew Pierce. Uh, you know, I even go back to when I was in school and I saw Shea Douglas and, uh, you know, Cliff Russell and Bob McCrory and uh, – you know, guys like that, I, I've seen some pretty good ones, but when you take everything into account, um, certainly there have been better performances, I think, when you when you, when you you just talk about, you know, how much, you know, uh, how well a guy pitched. But when you take into account the fact that, you know, you got a young man who had only started one game this year, um, you know, he started a lot in junior college and obviously in high school. He was a starter, but uh, only once at the Division One level, and he only went four innings in that game. And I think he went. I think his longest outing of the year was only like five and a third innings of relief, uh, and that came against Ole Miss. Um, you know, so for him to go nine innings in ninety-four pitches, give up just three hits, walk only one, no runs. In that situation, where if you were going to win the championship, you had to have that performance. I, I, he deserved every bit of that uh, tournament MVP. He got my vote, and uh, yeah, I, I just think that that's 
you know, again, when you take everything into consideration, that's going to go down as one of the most impressive pitching performances, you know, at least of, in recent memory. And, Jason, to win a tournament, and we've talked about the loss on Saturday night, you need uh, dominant pitching, and that's exactly what the Eagles got really throughout the tournament. I know that you put out a number, and I'll let you speak to it. In an article I read, uh, I guess it was this morning, about the starters' ERA for the tournament. Yeah. Um, I, so they played 45 innings, uh, and I think so the starters, the starters pitched – Nine, nine, it's 18, 25, 32, 34 and a third of the 45 innings Southern Miss played, the starters handled, and their uh, ERA for the tournament was 1.05. You know, I mean, that's, you know, for for a team, for a staff that took some heat this year to go out and perform like that uh, is is really just something that, that, you know, I, I, I even remarked to uh, to the Christian Ostrander in his first season as pitching coach at Southern Miss that maybe he was the one who deserved the tournament MVP mm. because they he had he was pushing all the right buttons, he was saying all the right things, and uh, you know what Nick Sandlin, Stevie Powers, Walker Powell, Mason Strickland, and Adam Jackson did is something that should be remembered for a long, long time. Jason, and, you know, that's leading into my question. It's going to be a little bit about last week, but as we seen earlier today that USM has got selected uh, to the, go to the Fayetteville Regional uh, with Arkansas the number two and USM the number – I mean, Arkansas the number one and USM the number two. You talk about Nick Salen. What a great performance the first game of the tournament. But talk about this pitching staff and this team. They didn't have to go back to him any of the games that they played in the conference tournament. So what do you think about Nick Salen? He's got all this rest to come in here for the first game of this region up at uh, Arkansas. I think it's extremely important. Um, you know, Nick pitched on – Thursday, right? Yeah, he pitched Thursday um, against UAB, and uh, I want to say he might have thrown 115, 117 pitches, something like that. His complete game shutout, which was, oh by the way, the third, <laughs> the third complete game shutout of the season for him, which ties a school record. Uh, nobody's ever had more. There's there have been a few that have had that number, but nobody's ever had more. Uh, so yeah, he he would if they so decide to uh, start him against Dallas Baptist on Friday. He'll be on a full seven days rest, or eight days rest, however you want to look at it. Uh, you know, and, and that is huge because you you have to win that first game. If you if you want, your odds of, of winning the entire regional increase dramatically if you win that first game. And, uh, you know, on top of it, apparently – uh, Bomb Stadium up there in Fayetteville mm-hmm. is known as a, a pretty pretty good hitter's park, and so to have a guy like Nick Sandlin who uh, has the ability to just shut shut teams down and uh, and make them look pretty bad, um, you know, to have have a, a bullet like that, you you really you know you can't afford to wait. You you you, you need to get off on the right foot and uh, and shut you know kind of set the tone for the rest. Jason, y'all, you've mentioned um, that stadium and the home runs. Talk to us. Just kind of give us a capsule or a view of each one of these clubs. Uh, I know you've you've got a preview out there at at the Hattiesburg American that kind of speaks to this. But Arkansas, we we know what they've done with their power numbers in the SEC, and they're awfully tough in their home building. But give us a little bit on Dallas uh, Baptist, Arkansas, and Oral Roberts, the other three participants in this regional. Yeah, I mean, everybody hits. Uh, it's going to be an offensive. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of run scored uh, this weekend. Like you said, Arkansas has uh, proven that they can hit the ball. Um, I think, if I remember right, they got a team batting average somewhere around 299, which is. Uh, in the top 15 or top 20 in the country. Uh, so they're going to hit the ball. Uh, Dallas Baptist, they've got a guy who's hit 425 with 11 homers and, uh, you know, 50 RBIs or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's a guy, I think he's third in the country in, mm-hmm. in hitting right now. 
Uh, and he's not even their leading home run guy. they got a guy who's got 14 homers. Crazy. And I think they got another guy who's got 12. Mm. So uh, they they can swing it. And, and their, their team batting average is way up there as well. Um, you know, don't know a ton about Oral Roberts. I think their team batting average is like 288 or something. And, uh, you know, they're not scoring as many runs a game as uh, Southern Miss, Dallas Baptist, and Arkansas. But, um, you know, I've talked to some people who – who know a little bit about Oral Roberts, and they say that you know they're they're always one of the more dangerous four seeds, always a tough out uh, in in postseason play. Um, so so you know they're 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 going to be a little bit like uh, Illinois Chicago was last year. You know it wouldn't surprise me a bit to see them uh, give Arkansas a really good game uh, on Friday afternoon. So um, again. I Dallas Baptist pitching leaves a little bit to be desired, um, you know. So that that may be what holds them back uh, as far as this tournament's concerned. And I think Oral Roberts is the same way. Um, so I look for it to be a like I said in the in the beginning. I, I look for it to be a very uh, uh, high scoring affair this weekend. Should be a lot of fun, Jason. What do you think about? Uh... USM being that two seed and going to Fayetteville, I, I I guess like many others kind of thought they would get sent uh, to Oxford, which I really didn't think would have been fair to honestly. I think we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago when we had you on that Southern Miss was probably really too good of a two seed to get sent to Ole Miss, especially with Ole Miss's uh, conference title this weekend in SEC play. How do you feel and how do you think the fan base for Southern Miss feels about being the two-seed up at Fayetteville? Well, um, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, when, when talking about why Southern Miss didn't go to Oxford, I mean, I, I thought all along that, that it was going to be a long shot. Uh, I didn't think the selection committee, you know, it, as Ole Miss continued to win, as Southern Miss continued to win, it just would have not been fair to either team to, you know, to put them in the same regional, I didn't think. And, uh, and, and so it looks like uh, that's exactly what, you know, it looks like the, the selection committee felt the same way. Um, I was thinking Florida State, Georgia, or Arkansas. Uh, and, and I think, you know, I think, I think when it, when it, was revealed that Southern Miss wasn't going to Oxford. There was a big sigh of relief, mm-hmm. and 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 not just on the Hattiesburg side. I, I got a message uh, from a writer uh, from a writer who covers Ole Miss, and I think there have been some other people who put it out on Twitter that there was a very loud, uh, you know, cheer from the Ole Miss players when when it was revealed that Southern Miss was going to Fayetteville. Um, I don't think they wanted any part of Southern Miss, so you know I think it's it's both both sides of the of the table uh, are walking away happy. I'm sure there are some fans, some Southern Miss fans who you know would like it to be closer. Um, you know, and, and, and Arkansas uh, Bomb Stadium is not an easy place to play. Uh, they are 30 and three in their home stadium this year, and you know they're notorious for having. Uh, making it a tough environment, um, you know, for visiting teams. But uh, but I think overall, by and large, um, it's 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 not the worst. It's not the best draw that I think Southern Miss could have gotten. But it's certainly not the worst. It's certainly a lot better than Oxford would have been. And uh, Jason, do you know any good record stores in the area? Gosh. <laughs> I've been too busy. I, I, I wish I, I like literally. You caught me off guard there because I've been too busy booking rental cars and hotels, and writing stories that I hadn't even had a chance to to, to look at that. Um, I, I've I've gotten a few, uh, you know, suggestions as far as good places to eat uh, are concerned, but. Uh, I know I. That's gonna be that's gonna be something that I do here in just a minute. As soon as we as soon as we hang up. <laughs> Jason, you you know you were talking about you know it's not the not the best draw, but absolutely not the worst draw uh, for Southern Miss in this regional. But 
the way the selection committee has it kind of set up is if Southern Miss can go and kind of, you know, handle their business that we know Southern Miss can do, uh, it's possible to have all three state schools make it, you know, past the super regional because they won't have to face each other. So that's possible that all three of the, uh, of the state schools in Mississippi can be in the College World Series if everything goes uh, Southern Miss's way. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, and that would be, gosh, would that, I think that would be a first. Uh, I mean, I know, I know USM's only made it to to one super regional, and so as long as Ole Miss and Mississippi State didn't also make it to a region, super regional that year, then it would be a first, and that would be, you know, just fantastic for the state. Um, you know, we're always talking about how how much good baseball there is in the state of Mississippi, and uh, that would just be further proof. Um, and I think it's. I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. I mean, uh, Mississippi State's going to uh, Tallahassee, uh, and we know how well Mississippi State's playing right now. I mean, they just uh, swept Florida, the number one overall seed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so they're playing well right now. Obviously, Ole Miss is playing well, and Southern Miss is too. So uh, what I'm interested to see is if Southern Miss does, in fact, make it out of this regional, you know, I'm, uh, obviously everybody's going to be keeping an eye on that East Carolina regional to see, uh, you know, what, what would happen there. That would be uh, a neat little storyline if Southern Miss gets out of theirs, East Carolina gets out of theirs, it'd be an old conference USA Super Regional. Yeah, that, that would be uh, cool. Jason, we'll be keeping an eye on you, man, and following you at Fayetteville. What's the best way for Southern Miss fans to uh, keep up – with what you're uh, putting out on a daily basis and, and to follow you, my friend? I mean, everything I do is, uh, is at HattiesburgAmerican.com, um, you know, and, and but I'm also on Twitter at Munzley, M-U-N-Z-L-Y. Uh, go to the Hattiesburg American Facebook page. I'll probably be doing a number of uh, Facebook Live, uh, you know, Q&As uh, this week and this coming up weekend. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's about all you think of. <laughs> well, I speak for and for Jeff and I, we appreciate your time, but I speak for the Southern Miss fan base, man. We certainly appreciate the top-notch coverage you give, uh, not only this club, but all of uh, Southern Miss athletics. So, man, it's much appreciated. All right, well, I appreciate y'all for saying that. Thank you, Jason. Right, thanks, Take Jason. care, bud. All right, thanks. Yeah, Clay, and that was Jason Munns, uh, beat writer for USM, uh, writes for the Hattiesburg American. And you heard him talk about – the teams that are in this field, uh, Fayetteville Regional, you know, the first game uh, is going to be in this regional. It's going to be uh, 2 o'clock on Friday, um, June the 1st, on ESPN 3 at 2 o'clock. You got Oral Roberts, a four seed, playing the host seed number one – I mean, the host team, number one seed, Arkansas. Oral Roberts comes in at 39-18 and 18 out the Summit League. Of course, Arkansas's uh, 39-18 and 18 out the SEC. So – that should be a good. That should be a good matchup. You got SEC coming in. Uh, it's going to be a lot, a crazy atmosphere in Fayetteville with the with the Razorbacks host. Yeah, Arkansas, as you've heard, uh, Jason Munns described, just dominant at home, and that's dominant in a very tough baseball conference in the SEC, and they can w- really swing it. I uh, saw Matt Wa- uh, Walner in an interview earlier today. Uh, at the selection party for Southern Miss. And he was talking about the way that he has heard that the ball jumps out of that ballpark. He hit uh, two big home runs in this past Conference USA tournament, and his eyes just lit up even thinking about that. So that should be a lot of fun in Fayetteville, and we hope that our Southern Miss Golden Eagles uh, continue to play good baseball. Yep, and then the number three seed in this regional is Dallas Baptist. They come in at 40-19. and Uh and they're going to be playing, of course, the number two seed, Southern Miss Golden Eagles, uh, who comes in uh, to this regional, you know, you said it, Conference USA regular season and tournament champions. That game is going to be at 7 o'clock on Friday on ESPN3. Uh, and, you know, we both, you've went down in person and watched some games this weekend at uh, MGM and Biloxi, and, I was, you know, I watched them on TV and was, and was keeping up with this team. They are coming in off of a big 
uh, a high winning that conference tournament down in Biloxi and just batting the way they are and the pitching that they didn't have to use all the pitching in this conference tournament, as you heard Jason talk about. So they should be coming in uh, to this this regional for that first game ready to go. Yep, should be ready. Uh, as Jason gave us an insight into that, should be a, a fun weekend whenever you have uh, an ERA like they put together and Jason was able to describe during that interview over the conference title play. Uh, just big and Sandlin, um, just remarkable at what that young man's done on the mound. Yep, and then the next, uh, the next team we're going to talk about, we're going to uh, talk about the Mississippi State Bulldogs. They are in the Tallahassee Regional with Florida State, and we're going to sit down. We was able to get some, uh, some insight from Brett Hudson, beat writer for Mississippi State for the commercial dispatch, and let's see what, uh, what Brett has to say about the Bulldogs coming out of the SEC tournament. Uh, you know, getting put out earlier and then talking about this Tallahassee Regional. We've got Brett Hudson with us uh, from the Dispatch. He's the beat writer for Mississippi State Bulldogs up in Starkville. And Brett, Mississippi State comes in as a two seed in the Tallahassee Regional. First, let's let's ask the question. Um, a two seed, just three or four weeks ago in this podcast, I can remember Jeff and I uh, going over SEC play and at that point kind of describing Mississippi State trying to hold on to make sure they make the SEC tournament. Then they sweep Florida to end the year. Um, don't play great baseball over in the SEC tournament, but have fought their way to a two seed in this tournament. Yeah, I think that was that was always something that was really going to interest me coming into this selection show because it's not like Mississippi State was was on the the bubble. We all knew they were going to get in. It was just a matter of of where. It was very interesting, uh, just because looking at projections out there, uh, I think going into Selection Monday, uh, Baseball America had Mississippi State in the number two seed regional. And D1 Baseball had them in, like, the 10-seed regional or, or, or something in the double digits. It, it felt like I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but nobody really knew what to do with this Mississippi State team. And there were a lot of people out there thinking they would be a three-seed and they were actually a, a two, as, as we know now. No one really knew what to do with them because of the thing you, you just mentioned. If you look at the teams that are hosting regions, Mississippi State is 9-1 against them which means against everyone else, they're 22 and 24. Some really unfortunate RPI losses on there. Uh, two losses in RPI below 150. They lost to Utah Valley, who had an RPI of 247. They lost four of their first five SEC series. Uh, and the chair of the selection committee, Ray Tanner, mentioned that in, in talking about how the committee split hairs between NC State and UConn hosting uh, their, their regional. They mentioned series win, and, uh, and, and State didn't do all that well in, in that regard in, in March and early April. So there, there was a lot of conflicting pieces of information, a lot of confusing things going on in, um, in, in Mississippi State's resume, which made it interesting. And, and now we know that they're, they're a two-seed in, in the number seven regional. And it kind of split the difference of what a lot of people were thinking, except for those who thought Mississippi State would be a three-seed, naturally. And Brett, you bring up that nine and one record against top teams in the country. That has to give this state team just utmost confidence, even on the road over at Tallahassee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're a very confident bunch right now. It's, it's very easy to ignore uh, what happened to to them in the SEC tournament uh, against against LSU. One, just LSU's a really good baseball team, and and two, LSU just made a run to the championship game of of said tournament. Um, but yeah, nine and one against those the top ten teams, and uh, and they they should be confident. They're they're playing really well, but I don't know that they're playing as well as Florida State is right now. Florida State just won the ACC tournament, if I'm not mistaken. They they went back to back in in that regard. They're they're healthy right now, unlike Oklahoma. We'll get to that uh, later on. Um, but uh, they they should be confident. They're, they're playing pretty good baseball. Right now, they they are six and three over their last nine games, and twelve and six over their last eighteen. So they they should be confident, uh, but they're 
I, I still don't think they're they're playing as good a baseball as Florida State is right now. Now it's it, it's splitting hairs. Honestly, both both teams are, are very very good. If we're fortunate enough to see them play each other twice, then. And in this regional, I think fortunate would, would be a pretty good word for that. I, I sure, I sure as heck wouldn't say no to that. Absolutely, it'd be uh, well worth your time to see that. And Brett, we're we're based out of Pearl River County. We're here in Picayune, so it it kind of mm-hmm. caught my attention for Mississippi State to go to the Tallahassee Regional. I believe it was Ryan Polk's last trip to Omaha with that Mississippi State club, and they had a pitcher. Uh, from Picayune on that on that team, Justin Pigott, who actually picked up yeah. a win in that regional. So that just kind of uh, jumped off of uh, the page. So Mississippi State has has taken pretty similar route as I look at the pairing with Clemson to Omaha. Yep. That, that's very intriguing. Yeah, uh, somebody mentioned that think the, the 2012 Tallahassee Regional also included Florida State, Mississippi State, and Stanford. Uh, I think it was 2012. It may have been 2007. I'm pretty sure it was 2012, though. Uh, the other team in, in that regional was UAB at this time. It's, uh, it's Oklahoma. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the regional things they have to figure out to put together this exact style of 64-team tournament kind of lend themselves to uh, repeat uh, hosting venues and, and, and repeat trips. For, for teams, and this is the, the third time in the last 11 years, if I'm not mistaken, that Mississippi State has to go to, to Tallahassee for, for a regional, and they, as you mentioned, they're paired up with the Clemson Regional, and if the Clemson come, comes out of that with their primary competition being Vanderbilt, uh, they'll they'll go to Clemson for, for the Super Regional. So there, there's a lot of uh, common threads in, in State's way to uh, – to, to Omaha, but it, it's been like that for, for many years coming now. Yeah, we're talking with Brett Hudson, Mississippi State beat writer uh, for the Commercial Dispatch. And, Brett, you know, we I, I'm looking down here and I see Oklahoma, the number three seed out of the Big 12, and, of course, Mississippi State out of the SEC. Now we got an SEC Big 12 matchup in baseball. We've seen it in football over the past couple years with these two conferences meeting up. But uh, what, what can you say about the Oklahoma uh, team ahead of this tournament as Mississippi State gets ready to face the Sooners. Yeah, so I, I dug into to Oklahoma for, for a blog post that went up um, Monday afternoon. You can find that on, on my Twitter feed at Brett underscore Hudson. Um, this, this, what's really interesting about Oklahoma is they might be down their two best hitters. Um, they're, they're best hitter by, by batting average, right fielder Steel Walker. Fantastic name, by the way. Yes. He, he didn't play. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> he, he didn't play in the entire uh, Big 12 tournament. Oklahoma played four games there. He didn't play the entire time with no league strength. And, and while they were in whatever city the Big 12 tournament is, I don't know off the top of my head, Kyler Murray, uh, the same Kyler Murray that could very well be the quarterback for mm-hmm. the football team, he hurt his hamstring. In, in the tournament. That's two of Oklahoma's four best hitters. Now, granted, Oklahoma's got plenty of pop in that in that lineup with, without them. They're, they've got two guys that, at the top of the lineup, Kate Harris and Brandon Zaragoza, who are hitting 276 and 274, uh, respectively. They've got a third baseman, Briley Ware, who's hitting 326 and slugging 438. Um, he, he, just, he, he makes a lot of contact, too. He's He's hard to walk, but he's hard to strike out, too, because he's constantly making contact with the baseball. Uh, he, he's one of those guys. And, and Oklahoma's pitching staff has been pretty good. Uh, I mean, they're, they're one of the better ones in, in the Big 12, particularly in, in the bullpen. You know, in, in college baseball, most of the time, once you get past the starter, you're, you're doing pretty good. That's not the case for, for Oklahoma. They've got, they've got three guys, Connor, Barry, Braden, Saints, and Austin Hansen, uh, two righties and a lefty, uh, that have just been awesome all year for for Oklahoma. So it's a difficult matchup for for Mississippi State, just because there isn't really a weakness for this this Sooners team, unless the two injured guys, Steve Walker and, and Kyler Murray, don't play. This is the NCAA tournament. I mean, if if they can play, they're gonna. I, I would imagine both of those guys are going to play, but I say that without any knowledge of the severity of either of their injuries. But if, if they are fully healthy, the Sooners are a really, really tough out in, in the Tallahassee Regional. I mean, this, this regional isn't as difficult as the Fayetteville Regional 
or some other regionals out there, but this is far from the easiest to pass for, for Florida State, Mississippi State being a, a big part of that, but also Oklahoma and, and that Mississippi State problem starts Friday morning. Um, Brett, that four seed in any regional when you make it uh, to this point uh, can cause heartburn. Any uh, Anything we need to know about Sanford in this group of four? Uh, yeah, Sanford's, Sanford's got one uh, hitter of note, the designated hitter, Brooks Carlton. Uh, 16 doubles and eight home runs on, on the year. Some some nice pop out of that bat from, from SoCon. But this is this is a team that's fueled by pitching. Um, they've, they've got two guys, Cody Shelton and Samuel Strickland, who have been locked down starters for them all year long. Both of them have ERA under three, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, Shelton's definitely under three. And Strickland at 1.82. So it's possible both those guys have ERAs under two. Uh, granted, mostly against SoCon uh, teams and, and really nothing big in, in their schedule. It's not, I mean, they didn't play a three-game series against an SEC opponent, for example. They didn't go out and schedule aggressively in, in their non-con. So it's not like those two-lane teams, right? right. Where you can say, oh, if he shut down LSU, mm-hmm. if he shut down Texas. Sanford didn't really do that with, with their schedule this year. But clearly they didn't need to. All they need to do was, win SoCon, and, and they did that. But what I'm guessing is Cody Shelton will pitch against Florida State. He's been their Friday night guy all year long, leaving Daniel Strickland to pitch the second game in the event that Mississippi State gets the second game against Sanford in either result. It seems like the, the southpaw Daniel Strickland will, will be the one that, that gets that honor. Brad, if we're looking you up next Monday evening, what would have State have done over the weekend to to advance out of this regional? What what will they have to do well over that that three days of play? They're going to have to score, and they're going to have to score late. Um, this, this team, it's been this way all year long. Uh, Connor Pilkington starts on Friday night. He's awesome. You typically don't need much offense to win with Connor Pilkington on the mound. He went through a, a kind of a brief struggle period uh, first couple of weeks of May where he was, I mean, uh, let, let's not mince words about it. He was just he was just bad the first two weeks of, of May. But he, he's really come around. His start against Florida was, was pretty good, and he started an admirable effort on short rest in the SEC tournament yes. against LSU. He, he's on the way up. Uh, and Ethan Small is their number two starter. He's coming back from a blister and his final start of the season against Florida. If he pitches, State should be fine there. He's, he's been incredible all year long. Uh, but once you get past that, pitching has been kind of a adventure for, for Mississippi State this year. They've tried Jacob Billingsley. He's been there for most of the year. They gave Denver McQuarrie a shot in the Alabama series. That didn't go very well. Uh, that's, that's kind of been how this team has gone uh, all year long. If, if you can get through the first two pitchers against Mississippi State, you're, you're doing pretty good. And, and if you've got opposite problems for, for say, once you get Connor Bilkington and Ethan Small off the mound, you got to score. you got to score in bunches. It's J.P. France and, and Zach Neff and Blake Smith. They're all awesome out of the bullpen, but they can only do so much when they're taking over games and the third and fourth thing. And they've had to do that multiple times in in conference play. So if, if Mississippi State is going to get out of the Tallahassee Regional, it, it's because they put up seven, eight, nine runs in their final two or three games of the Regional to, to get out of there. Because to date, there's nothing that suggests Mississippi State can pitch their way through a Regional. They just don't have the pitching depth for that. Well, they're a resilient bunch, and I don't think anybody that uh, follows you or follows this program would be shocked uh, by seeing just that. We hope uh, to be talking to you next Monday night, Brett. We appreciate you taking time, man, on a busy Memorial Day to spend time with the podcast. So we appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, right, Brett. Thanks, Brett. And once again, that was Brett Hudson, uh, beat writer for Mississippi State for the commercial dispatch. And, and Clay, you know, you heard him mention, uh, you know, shades of past with this regional with Florida State and the, pairing up with the Clemson Regional uh, again like it like they have been in the past. But Mississippi State comes into this regional as a two seed, faces the number three seed Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma is out of the Big 12 Conference at 36 and 23.
course, Mississippi State, the SEC at 31-25, and 25, and that game is at an early game on Friday, 11 o'clock on ESPNU. Yep, and you look back at um, Mississippi State baseball history and a guy that, uh, as we're recording here in Pearl River County and Picayune, uh, Justin Pike had a dominant pitcher for the Picayune Maroon Tide and uh, was a very good pitcher for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Actually has a win over in the Tallahassee Regional years ago, and that was, I believe, the last time that Ron Polk led Mississippi State Club, made it Omaha. And so that that's kind of a special tie uh, to this community and a, a, a common thread, I believe, is the way uh, Brett described that in the interview. Yep, and then, of course, the number one seed in this regional and the host team is Florida State uh, Seminoles coming off of back-to-back ACC championships. They're coming into this regional 43-17, and 17, and they face a number four seed, Samford, uh, coming in at 36 and 24. That game is at 6 o'clock on Friday, also on ESPNU. And then Florida State Seminoles with the, coming out to ACC, uh, they've been there before. And speaking as a Southern Miss fan, we've, <laughs> we've seen them and been down there before as a Golden Eagle. So uh, that's going to be a, a tough little regional uh, to come out of for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Yeah, it should be. But State's played so well, as we heard um... – Brett described has played so well against top opponents that really they've played better. They've played up all year to their opponents, and this will be a heck of a time as you've got Florida State and Mississippi State, two of the hotter teams over the last month coming into this uh, regional play. Should be a lot of fun. Yep, and the the, um, last team in the state to talk about, certainly not least, is the Ole Miss uh, Rebels coming in uh, as a host team. They Number four, national seed overall, 46 and 15. We talked a little bit about that earlier. And we was also able to get some uh, get some insight from Davis Potter, beat writer uh, and sports editor for the Oxford Eagle. Um, to, he was uh, gracious enough to sit down and talk with us a little bit. Let's see, uh, see what Davis had to say about this Ole Miss club coming off of a big conference uh, championship weekend over in Hoover. We're fortunate enough to have tonight with us Davis Potter with the Oxford Eagle. And uh, he's a beat writer for the Ole Miss Rebels and certainly a good time to be on that beat as they're coming off a SEC conference title over in Hoover. And Davis, just tell us, man, what you saw all over the weekend and um, just a big-time effort from the Rebels. Yeah, I think they uh, they obviously and, and look, I think they may have been a national seed regardless of what they did in, in the SEC tournament. Honestly, I mean, they you know every year is different, um, but the SEC was so loaded this year. I think they they tied a, a record with uh, you know sending ten teams to the NCAA tournament, and you know I think with them winning the West and having eighteen league wins in the regular season, I mean I, I never really bought into the fact that maybe they had to get to that twenty win mark, um, you know, counting the conference tournaments to get a national seed. I mean. You know they run through the, they run through the SEC tournament and emerge in the losers bracket and end up as the number four national seed. So I, I, you know, I think they were kind of getting national seed regardless. But you know they went over there and, and you know you know you just did what they were supposed to do. I mean you had those people that were kind of doubting and questioning whether they would hold on to national seed if they had a poor showing in Hoover, particularly you know if, if other teams such as like a Florida State or Clemson or a Texas Tech, some of those teams that were kind of on the bubble or on the fringe. In, in that national seed talk, if they had deep runs, um, you know, possibly, um, you know, losing that spot. But, um, you know, it's just – I think what you saw in Hoover is just kind of what they've been all year. I mean, this is this is a really good team, and, and they're, they're very resilient. And I think they've only lost back-to-back games twice all season. And, you know, it's a, it's a well-put-together team. A lot of, you know, coming into the season, the strength was, was the pitching, or supposed to be. Not that it's been bad, but starting pitching's – you know, kind of been hit or miss, especially in the latter part of the year. But, you know, the big question was the offense after, you know, some of the struggles they had last year, particularly with that with that freshman class that are now sophomores and some of, some of the lumps that they took kind of adjusting to, to the college game and particularly the, the SEC, um, you know, with the offense kind of take that next step. And, you know, those but, you know, they, they put it all together and then, the, you know, they're heading into the postseason leading the SEC and hitting. And, and that's something they really they, – they led the league in, in that category really all year. So, um, you, you know, they've hit all year. And I think in the SEC tournament, kind of, I think what made the difference was that starting catching finding that consistency. I mean, you had 
all three of your, the starters, Brian Rollison, Brady Feigl, and James McArthur, they all pitched um, into the six, got into the sixth. A couple of those guys got pitched into the seventh of some of their games. And you know, their starting pitching for that tournament had a sub two ERA. I mean, I have to go back and, and look and do some of the research and crunch some of the numbers to see exactly what it was. But, I mean, they were, they were just lights out. And, you know, when, when you're able to do that, Especially in, in that ballpark, you know, mm-hmm. Hoover, the Hoover Met is, is huge. And that's a minor league ballpark, yes, and right. you know, when you're playing, when the park's playing that big, man, you you need your your starters to do well and and, and go deep and eat up some innings, and that way, you, you know, the game shortens up when you can get in, into your bullpen with with Parker Grace and Will Etheridge and some other guys they have in the back end. So, yeah, you know, I think that was I think that was the key for them was really their starting pitching um, carried them because it was what you know their offense had a bunch of hits. Tournament, but they didn't really get some of those timely hits until until later in the tournament, and because they're going to LSU in the championship game. So you know, it's just a matter of time really before that offense um, comes up with that clutch hit, and you know, it's something they've done all year. But the, I think the starting pitching and getting that consistency, particularly as you as you head in, into the most important games of your season, I think that that's got to be encouraging if you're Mike Bianco and his staff. And talk to us. Coach Bianco and that staff, 46-15, and 15, you've mentioned it a couple of times there, the number four seed. That recruiting process and that class from last year, you've watched them grow up and now produce. That is a special group, uh, obviously, for uh, to be this four seed and to win an SEC tournament title. What? How high are the expectations? Is it Omaha and bust uh, for this group? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, that's, I mean Mike Bianco's kind of built his own monster here. You know, this, mm-hmm. is a, this is a program he took over 18 years ago that was, just, that was kind of middling. And, I mean, they just, you know, didn't have consistent baseball success. And, you know, it, this is now this is the 16th NCAA tournament appearances in his 18 years. So, um, you know, as great as the SEC tournament championship was, as great as the SEC West regular season championship was, and, you know, for as much success as he's, as he's had here, you know, being an all-time winning as coach, the biggest knock on, on Mike Danko uh, and his program is not being able to get to Omaha and not being able to break through and do that, uh, you know, more consistently. You know, it sounds easy. I mean, obviously that's a lot harder um, <laughs> right. done than it is said, but, um, you know, I just – it's you know, it's something that, that – that, that for whatever reason, you know, that, that's kind of the, the knock on him and, and considering all the success that he's had. And, yeah, I mean, I, I do. I think that, that sophomore class now that they were freshmen last year is obviously playing a huge part of that. I mean, Thomas Dillard, you know, leading the team in, in, in home runs. Um, Greg Kester is hitting over 300, um, you know, and, and probably the best building shortstop or one of the best building shortstops in the SEC. Um, you know, Cole Zabowski, 300 hitter at first base and all SEC deep. You know, defensive team over there. So, um, you know, it, I don't. I don't care who you are. I don't care how talented you are coming in. I mean, you're facing. You know, you're, you're facing this kind of pitching in the SEC, um, and, and you're just getting used to 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 the level of play in college. I mean, you're going to take your lumps. You're going to take your struggles. And, and Mike Bianco said, you know, admitted last year that he probably had that he probably put too much on, mm-hmm. on their shoulders last year, and probably put you know expected too much out of them and expected them to carry them right away. Um, and, you know, there are obviously some, some special players. That everybody's different. There's some special players that can do that. But, um, you know, you're, you're going to take your lumps, and, and you know, it's going to take you some time to get adjusted. And, and just for them, it, it took a whole season of, of, of the learning curve to try to get caught up to speed and, and you know, just get used to the, to the, uh, to the speed of the game and, and, the, and the talent level of it. You know that comes with playing in the SEC, and I think obviously now that's paying dividends for them. I mean, it, um, you know, it's, you're mixing that with with the you know the veteran leadership of, of Nick Cortez and Ryan Olenek and Will Golson. It's all just it's all just kind of come together for them at the right time. And you know, they're obviously um, you know one of the hotter teams in the country going into the postseason. Yep, a hotter team, a special team, and we're visiting with Davis Potter of the Oxford Eagle, Davis. This is a team that's won like they have in this tough SEC conference without really lights out starting pitching. They're, to me, kind of built like a major league club that if if they can hold a lead into about the fifth or sixth inning, then it becomes a nightmare for their opponents. Speak to what that bullpen's been like this year. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, I think the bullpen is, is, hasn't actually been as deep, um, you know, as dominant as they thought it would be at the beginning of the year. I mean, this is – you know, you had 
you, you know, going into the year, you had Dallas Wolfolk, you know, who was a preseason All-American, was, was your closer. Uh, you had a veteran guy like like Will Stokes. Um, and then, you you know, I had like a girl, Holston and Will Etheridge. Um, and now Dallas Wolfolk isn't around anymore. Uh, Will Stokes hasn't been as effective as they thought he would be. And then, the, you know, Parker Gracie comes out of nowhere, got it. Mm. You know, has been with the program, but hasn't been on the active roster the first, you know, two years. And, you know, he, he just comes out of nowhere at the beginning of SEC play and kind of lights the world on fire and, um, you know, emerges and, and as their closer because the guy coming in throwing mid-90s and has really really had a rubber arm for them this year. Um, you know, I, I mean, every just about every appearance he's had, is, you know, it's been multiple innings where he's had, they've called on him to get, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes even nine out saves. And, you know, and that and that kind of goes back to my to that point about the starting pitching. You know, if they can just, you know, the the way that that, that bullpen's constructed, because now you've got basically you've got three got three guys that that Baker really counts on, and Parker Crazy, um, Etheridge, and then Greer Holston. Um, you know, you can throw guys like like um, Houston Roth in there too, maybe a Max Chiofi who's emerged sort of late. But you know, if, if their starters can get them six, seven, and you you, you go to Crazy. And well, after I mean, you're shortening the game at that right. point because, like I mentioned, you know, Crazy's, you know, they they use him a lot to get to get multiple innings out of him and get those six, um, seven out saves. So, um, yeah, I mean, the bullpen the bullpen has been good, but it, I think it's 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 been good in, in a different way, and maybe not the way expected the way they expected it to play out, just because you've had some different guys emerge in the back end that maybe they they weren't expecting to have as big a role at the beginning of the year. Davis, this is this is Jeff here, and you talked you talked about the offense uh, for the for Ole Miss, and you was talking about the average. I I was looking earlier today, and it was I think it was a three oh three batting average, and that was leading the SEC. Talk about that offense heading into this NCAA tournament. We had the bracket come out today. Of course, Ole Miss, the number four seed, going to host uh, the SEC champs. But I mean, man, you have to feel good if you're on this ball club. Uh, with a 303 SEC leading batting average, but you get to play at home uh, for this regional man. Talk talk about how that's just the momentum with these with this uh, Ole Miss team going into this weekend. Yeah, I mean, like, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, this team that was the biggest question mark coming into the season was would they be able to hit enough because you knew the starting pitching was was going to be good enough uh, to, to have you in every single ball game. Um, you know, it might not be as dominant, maybe as as Mike Danko thought it, it would be at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, it's obviously been better here at the end at the end of the season, heading into postseason. Um, but but the, you know, the offense has um, you know answered the call. I mean, basically since day one, there aren't many weak links one through nine. I think that's probably the most impressive thing is just the, the consistency and how you know they constantly keep the pressure on. I mean, you know, the, there's not a, there's not a hitter in that lineup. Um, that you really look at and say, and can kind of take a breath and, and let your guard down if you're an opposing pitcher. Because as soon as you do that, you know you're going to have somebody like like Jacob Adams coming and who's you know hitting 240. I mean, is their worst statistical hitter, um, you know, coming and hit a home run like he did against um, you know Auburn and uh, the SEC tournament. And um, you know, it, it's just you know they they constantly get pressure and they constantly keep attacking. That you know they and because they are have been so good at swinging it, you know, they they haven't bunted as much this year. You know, they've done a lot more hit and runs and just than just straight steals. Um, to constantly keep that keep that pressure on and keep keep you know, keep the uh, you know, kinda um, you know, deviate the pitcher's attention maybe to the base pass one and you know, paying attention to the hitters and when you do that, um, you know, like I said, there's just there's just not a weak link. I mean, when you're you know, Greg Kessinger's their, their leadoff guy and he's uh, he's hitting right at three fifteen and um, you know, Ryan O'Lenick was, you know, ended the regular season as the SEC leader in average. And, and that's, that's something that all they are, are talking about is, is he's really slumped here lately. I mean, his, his average was, it was right at 396 at the end of the regular season. I think it's like 360, low 360s right now. I mean, he, you know, hasn't, hasn't swung it as, um, nearly as well here at the end of the year. Um, you know, and they're, and they're still, in, and they're, you know, still putting up nine runs and that's the tournament championship game. They're, they're just getting a lot of contributions from a lot of guys, um, you know, whether it be a Chase Cockrell at DH, Tyler Keenan, you know, having one of the best um, freshman seasons for, for third base in the SEC this year. Um, you, you know, uh, you know Thomas Diller, as you mentioned earlier, kind of being that power threat right in the middle of the lineup. Um, Nick Fortes is, you know, 
tournament MVP, hit 556 over those five games. I mean, it's just, I mean, it, 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 there's no, there's no area or no spot in that lineup where opposing pitchers can let up. And, you know, as soon as you do that, um, you know, they're, they're getting that time of hit. They're getting that clutch hit. And, um, you know, it's just, yeah, I think that, I think, and also I think that helps the pitching staff. It helps them not press because I think this year, maybe as opposed to last year, where they weren't sure if that, if that big hit was going to come or if they were eventually going to break that game open. I think the, the pitching staff knows now, you know, at some point, you know, they may struggle. The offense may, you know, struggle through the four, first four or five innings, but eventually at some point they're going to come through and put up that, that crooked number in an inning and, and get you back in the game or get you a lead. Um, where, you know, where you can go out and just, you know, not not feel as much pressure to to to, to you know put up zeros at every inning, and I, I think that kind of leaves some of the pressure, and I think that's that's been part of their success this season too. Davis, you've mentioned him uh, playing an awesome shortstop and uh, batting at the top of that lineup. Kessinger's injury is that anything for Ole Miss fans to worry about, or was that just precaution in the championship game? Yeah, I think you're. I think you're always worried about a when you hear a hamstring. Right. That, that's that's an injury that, that can linger, and it has lingered for for Gray. I mean, it, he he said that he basically tweaked what he had done earlier in the year. But, the, but the, you know that that goes back to you know that being a hard injury to get over because he you know he pulled it. Um, I think early in the, in the non conference portion of the schedule or early in the SEC portion of the schedule. I'm not can't remember exactly when, but you know that's obviously something that. But he hasn't gotten over fully yet. You know, he, he tweaked it trying to sprint back when he got doubled off uh, in the first inning against LSU on Sunday. Um, you know, came out of the game and, and in the second inning, and um, you know they're they're basically just calling it tweak. They're saying you know the, the proverbial day to day. They'll mm-hmm. just you know kind of kind of play it out this week and see how he, I guess how he feels on Friday. But you know, I, I'd be surprised if he didn't give it a go on Friday. But you know, that, that's those hamstring injuries and they're always tricky. Yep, and. The three other groups or three other guys that are going to form y'all's group there at Swayze Field, Tennessee Tech, uh, Missouri State, and St. Louis. Um, I'm not real familiar. I know Missouri State's always in this tournament year in, year out. Um, Tennessee Tech, I believe, leads the nation in home runs or extra base hits. I know they hit with a lot of pop. But this group coming in and then the atmosphere that will be at Swayze Field this weekend should be a lot of fun, right, Davis? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that, they they renovated their, their stadium a few years ago and expanded to, you know, to host regionals. I mean, that that's what they did that for. That's what the expectation is. And I mean, you know, there were there were I mean, in Hoover on Sunday that was there were fourteen thousand one hundred twenty six fans. I mean, that was the second largest crowd to ever see a SEC tournament championship game and. Um, from what it looked like, it looked like Ole Miss had more fans there than LSU. So, yeah, Which, I mean, that's this, a mouthful, place. right, in the SEC championship <laughs> game to say that. That's a pretty good, a pretty good yeah. outturn from your fan base. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I mean, they're obviously, yeah. I mean, this thing they're going to be sellouts every day, and and, I, and you know, getting the national seed. With, I think that's what made that very important for Ole Miss because. I mean, they've been. I mean, teams are always better at home, obviously. But they, I mean, they've been they've been nearly unbeatable, and they're twenty eight and four um, at home this year. And they haven't none of the they haven't lost any games at home to non Power Five teams. So um, you know, that's obviously a huge a huge advantage for them. Yeah, as far as the field, I mean, yeah, I have, I have not looked done a ton of research on on some of these teams, just, but I do think it's interesting. Some of the players and, and Mike Danko were talking about it. So this is I think this is one of only four regionals that has. Um, one Power Five team in it. Um, you know, Ole Miss is the only Power Five conference team in this regional. You got St. Louis, Tennessee Tech, and Missouri State. And um, Ole Miss opens with um, St. Louis on Friday, and um, you know they're, they're they're a solid offensive team. They're hitting um, at two eighty five as a team, but they've got they've got a bona fide ace and a and a right hand right hander named Miller Hogan. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's really been a heating center for for them. He's, he's Gone at least six in all 15 of his starts. Struck out 129, 102 and two thirds innings. So, um, yeah, he's a guy that you know go out there and um, you know at least at least get um, St. Louis deep in the game. But you know they they haven't played a whole lot of, of power five teams. Uh, you know, so I mean this will be by far the best offense that he's faced all year. I think the most interesting team is Tennessee Tech because I don't think anybody's really sure what to make of them. I mean they lead the nation in, in wins. Um, you know, if it weren't for Tennessee Tech, Ole Miss would lead the nation in wins. Ole Miss got 46, Tennessee Tech got 48. 
Um, and yeah, they, they are. You know, they, they they can swing it. I mean, they they lead the nation in home runs. They lead the nation in offense. Um, but they you know they played fifty seven games and they've only played four games against top fifty RPI teams and none against the top 25, 25 RPI. So um, you know this is obviously going to they're going right. to come in here and get biggest tests that they've had all year. Um, but yeah, I mean obviously they'll be able to, they'll be able to swing it as well as anybody in the tournament. Should be a lot of fun, Davis. We appreciate uh, you spending time with us, and uh, we look forward to visiting with you in the future, man, as I have a feeling Ole Miss is going to play a few more weekends of baseball at least. So we certainly appreciate you. If you would, tell our we're, – we're based in Pearl River County down here in the south end of the state. Tell our followers and listeners where they can uh, follow the great information that you put out, Davis. Yeah, so um, you, you can read us online at OxfordEagle.com. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Davis E. Potter. Uh, uh, all our content is, is on there. Well, Davis, we certainly appreciate it, man, and take care, bud. All right, man. Thank you. All right, thanks. Once again, that was Davis Potter, the beat writer and sports editor for uh, the Ole Miss Club, and he wrote writes for the Oxford Eagle. And, and Clay, the Ole Miss uh, ball club coming in, as a host team, like you said, number four, national seed overall, 46-15, and 15, SEC champs. Uh, they will face uh, the St. Louis Billigans coming in at 38-18. and 18. They play at 6-30 on Friday night on the SEC Network. Um, man, that atmosphere ought to, be, uh, ought to be crazy up in Oxford. Yep, should be, Jeff. And unless they send that other club from St. <laughs> Louis, the Cardinals, now it should be a lot of fun for the Ole Miss Rebels as they are just rolling, man. And you look at what uh, Coach Bianco and that Ole Miss coaching staff has put together, and 46-15 and 15 overall record is just so impressive out of that conference. And they earned – that number four national seed. And you said it was gracious enough and got a lot of good information on this Rebel Club from Davis Potter with the Oxford Eagle. Yep, and the other two ball clubs that are in this regional is the number three seed Missouri State uh, out of the Missouri Valley. They were the champions this year for the Missouri Valley champions. They come in at 39-15. and They will face a a tough opponent, the number two seed, the Tennessee Tech, uh, coming in with a 48-9 and nine overall record coming into this tournament out of the Ohio Valley uh, Conference. That game will be at 2 o'clock on Friday on ESPN3. And you heard Davis mention it a little bit, uh, and, and I think you alluded to it as well during the conversation with Davis. This Tennessee Tech comes in uh, red hot. I think they lead the nation in home runs, and I think they lead the nation in wins, like I said, with a record of 48-9. and nine. Yeah, the way that they can swing it, uh, Jeff, they've just put up eye-popping numbers throughout their lineup. Uh, Lead the nation in most offensive categories. And if you said lead the nation in wins, and uh, I thought it was interesting, um, as as the listeners have heard, uh, Davis Potter's kind of take on that bracket and the wins from uh, Tennessee Tech. Nope, other Power 5 schools in this regional. And then Tennessee Tech didn't play a Power 5 heavy record, to say the least. So we'll kind of find out the has from the have-nots there in Oxford at Swayze Field. Yep, and it it should be fun. All the action gets kicked off Friday. Uh, Another club that I want to bring up and talk about, uh, we're looking for uh, a, a contact, if you would, Clay, from the Baton Rouge area. Uh, to get maybe on the on the podcast to talk about this club. But the LSU Tigers, if you was watching the selection show, they come into the very last regional and got picked. Uh, but LSU comes in that, you know, they just played uh, the tough uh, Ole Miss team for the SEC tur- uh, championship. But they come in at 37 and 25. They are, pair- they are in the Oregon State uh, regional. So they have to travel a pretty good ways, does the fan base uh, for the Tigers. But – 37 and 25 when they were on the borderline too of, of getting uh, they needed a, a couple of wins in this tournament not really didn't think they would go as far as they did in the SEC tournament but they needed a couple wins under their belt to be on that line to get in this NCAA tournament uh, but they made it in and they will be uh, battling the San Diego State Aztecs uh, Friday 
June the 1st at 3 o'clock on ESPNU. So, as always, Clay, the Tigers from LSU are right there in it when it counts. Yep, LSU, a team with really in um, very unfamiliar territory, like you said, needing probably a win or two in the SEC tournament uh, to qualify depending on where you were looking, and they make it all the way to the conference championship before Ole Miss was able to knock them off. And so we will uh, be keeping an eye and an ear on all of these different games. Um, This has been a lot of fun, just a little bit different than what we normally do on our uh, podcast, but it gave us an opportunity to dive deep with all of our state schools and, and that are participating in this tournament, USM, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. And these beat writers, I really feel like, give us a, a great perspective on the programs and, and what will happen with the programs moving forward. So we appreciate those guys joining us. Mostly we appreciate our listeners. We've been blown away by the numbers uh, through four episodes, and uh, we certainly appreciate Y'all hanging in there and listening to us as we grow and learn exactly uh, what we're doing here. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, we'll continue to have fun with it. As we said in that first episode, if we're not having fun, we'll hang up up the headphones and do something different. And uh, if you have uh, comments, concerns, questions, or... Uh, whatever you can find us on social media you can find us out on our website talkingball.net jeff and i are both on uh, twitter talking ball y'all has a facebook page you can message us from there a lot of different ways to get to us um, we certainly appreciate robertson brothers for their sponsorship and uh, what they've provided for us we would appreciate if you would go by and see them uh, they're right there in in the middle of Picune, they're hard to miss. Go see Josh and Jeremy. Go buy a car from them and tell them that uh, the Talking Ball crew sent you that way. And you can find this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. We appreciate you subscribing, uh, rating the podcast out on iTunes. And anything uh, you can do to help spread the word, we certainly appreciate. And we know that you're doing that. We can see that in our numbers. So, We appreciate you joining us for this episode uh, five, and we appreciate all the help that the beat writers uh, from around the state have given us tonight. Thank you for listening to this week's episode brought to you by Robertson Brothers. Stay tuned for more episodes in the weeks to come.